This morning's reading is from the book of Habakkuk, which is found on page 940 in your pew Bibles, chapter 1. The oracle at Habakkuk, the prophet received, How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Amen. Well, if you would like to turn with me to page 940, you may find that helpful. If this is the first time you've seriously encountered this Old Testament book of Habakkuk, uh, then please know that you and the preacher have something in common. In 30 years of ministry, I confess I've never even considered preaching on it, uh, although interestingly enough, there are a number of familiar phrases that are uh, not unknown to us in this prophetic writing. For example, uh, chapter 1, verse 2, how long, O Lord, must I call for help? Or uh, chapter 1, verse 7, when we read that the Babylonians are a law unto themselves. You've heard that phrase before, haven't you? Um, And verse 13, speaking about God, your eyes are too pure to look on iniquity, Uh, or glance down at chapter 2, verse 4, and a very familiar verse picked up by the New Testament in Romans and Galatians and Hebrews, the righteous will live by faith. And that was a very key concept for the Reformation. Or chapter 2, verse 14, the earth will be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Or chapter 2, verse 20, the Lord is in his temple, let all the earth be silent. Or chapter 3, verse 2, O Lord, in wrath, remember mercy. So although the book as a whole might be unfamiliar to us, there's actually quite a number of key phrases from it that ring a bell. And so we turn to these opening words of Habakkuk chapter 1. Our gracious Lord, um, when Habakkuk penned this oracle some 2,600 years ago, he could never have known that all this time later a group of Christians would be reading it in Belfast. As amazingly and providentially that is the case, Please will you therefore make your word live to us so that instructed and informed we may go from here better equipped to be your faithful servants for Jesus' sake. Amen. Having attended church for some time as an agnostic inquirer, a man approached his minister and asked a question that had been bothering him. How come there is so much suffering in the world? The pastor surprised him by his response. 
I think you have become a believer, he said. How do you know that, said the man? Because that is the sort of question only Christians ask, replied the minister. Never non-believers. It was quite a discerning reply, because for the atheist, there is no point in even asking why do bad things happen to good people? Because if there is no God, no absolutes, no arbiter of what is right and wrong, then why would anybody even ask the question why there is suffering in this world? It's only because Christians believe that there is a God and that God is good that this is a question that bothers an issue that baffles. And that was the issue for Habakkuk. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen or cry out to you violence, but do you do not save? Why do you make me look on injustice and tolerate wrong? These are questions that bother a believer. They are not questions that concern the atheist. For as Bill pointed out at our staff meeting this week, for the atheist, they have other problems, not with evil, but with good. How come a random and chaotic and selfish and fittest of the species world, uh, how can in that context there be any good? That's the atheist's dilemma. But here Habakkuk verbalizes the question that has troubled believers down through the ages and doubtless concerns many of us today, especially when something terrible or something tragic happens at work or marriage with our kids or health or to close friends. Like Habakkuk, we also cry out, why God do bad things happen to good people Maybe before we begin to address this searching question, it's worth noting, verse 1, that this is an oracle which the prophet received. I don't know if you've ever wondered how a prophet ever got the message from God that he was mandated to proclaim to the people, because that's what a prophet does. He brings a message from God to the people. But here we're given an insight into how Habakkuk got this message. Before Habakkuk had something worthwhile to proclaim, he had questions of his own which needed to be answered. And so what we have in these opening verses of this prophetic book is Habakkuk's own problems poured out before the Lord, questions deeply felt and forcefully put. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? but you do not listen or cry out to you violence. And the word for violence, incidentally, is Hamas. You've heard that word. How long to cry out to you Hamas, but you do not save? The God we worship 
is a listening God. The God we praise is a saving God. And yet here, Habakkuk cannot get his head around the apparent silence and the failure on God's part to act. And here all around him is injustice and destructive and lawlessness. And that's 600 years before Christ. Before I have something to proclaim to the people of Judah, I myself must know what it is that God, why he seems disinterested and uninvolved. So Habakkuk makes his complaint to God. Now, as it happens, God does reply, and the reply is found in verses 5 and 6. Look at the nations and uh, watch. Be utterly amazed, Habakkuk, because I'm going to do something in your day that you would not believe, even if you were told. Habakkuk, I am a listening God. Habakkuk, I am a saving God, but not in the way you imagine. I'm going to address your problem, but the way I'm going to answer your complaint is not the way you ever suppose. But that's next Sunday's sermon. Feel free, of course, to read on before if you want to know how the story ends. This week, we simply want to address Habakkuk's presenting problem. Society in 7th century BC, Judah was in a mess. Read the newspapers and all you encounter is violence, injustice, sexual immorality, destruction, strife, interpersonal and societal conflict. And the evident impotence of government or the courts to do anything about it. Sound any way familiar? And we, like him, ask, How long, O Lord? How long must I call for help, but you do not listen? Only a generation before, Judah had experienced revival. Some of you can remember or have been told about the remarkable events surrounding the ministry of W.P. Nicholson in this part of the world in the 1920s, Uh, how under conviction of sin, countless workmen returned equipment they had stolen from work, and whole warehouses had to be constructed or laid aside for all of that to be returned. And others of you will be familiar with the stories of 1859 when society here was changed for good, at least for a generation. Judah had only a few decades before been governed by good King Josiah. Under his reign, they had experienced genuine renewal as people responded to the rediscovery of the book of the law. Pagan idols were destroyed. Passover celebrations were reinstated. But it wasn't long before the blessings of the past were forgotten. And under Josiah's successor, Jehoiakim, 
all Josiah's good work was reversed. And people went back to their old and familiar wicked ways. It's the Oscars tonight, and doubtless darkest hour will gain some of them. And some of you have seen it. It's the account of Churchill's early days as Prime Minister as Nazi Germany swept across Western Europe, threatening to defeat these islands. Others among you will have seen Dunkirk, the miraculous evacuation of hundreds of thousands of Allied troops from the beaches of North France. These are powerful movies. But what neither of them refer to or even mention is the fact that in the face of the greatest military disaster in history, His Majesty King George VI requested that Sunday the 26th of May 1940 be observed as a national day of prayer and in a stirring broadcast called for the people to commit their cause to God. Together with members of the cabinet, the king attended Westminster Abbey, while millions of his subjects in all parts of the Commonwealth and Empire flooded into churches to join in prayer. Photographs were published in the press that showed long queues of people who could not even get into the churches. And the Daily Sketch exclaimed, nothing like this has ever happened before. And no sooner did that happen than for some reason which has never been fully explained, Hitler overruled his generals and halted the advance of his armoured columns at the very point when they could have proceeded to the British Army's annihilation. They were only 10 miles away. Amazingly, a second miracle took place. A storm of unprecedented fury broke over Flanders on Tuesday the 28th of May 1940, grounding the German Luftwaffe and enabling the Allies to move on foot to the coast. And thirdly, despite the storm in Flanders, a great calm such as has rarely been known settled over the English Channel, enabling the vast armada of 800 little ships and privately owned cruisers to ply back and forth to rescue 338,226 soldiers. And so grateful, by the way, was the nation for that mighty deliverance that Sunday the 9th of June 1940 was appointed a day of national thanksgiving. But 70 years later, not a mention of it in either Darkest Hour or Dunkirk. Within a very short time, in spite of past miracles, revival or blessing, society quickly forgets the goodness and generosity of God and quickly degenerates to violence, injustice, and wrong. And so we, along with Habakkuk, the prophet, may also 
ask a question, how long, O Lord, may I cry for help, but you do not listen, or cry out violence, but you do not save. But the plain truth is this, in every generation, God does listen. In each generation, God does save. But that is quickly forgotten by those who follow. And God will respond to the next generation of believers' cry for help. God does hear. God does save. But not always in the ways in which he has done in the past. And that's the point. God is not oblivious to the problem of suffering in the world. God is not unaware of bad things that happen to good people. But the way in which he chooses to respond to the cries of his people might not be the expected or anticipated or hoped for way. For his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Sometimes like a parent who can understand more than their beloved child, we have to trust that God sees the full picture. And 600 years after Habakkuk cried out to God against injustice, another man of God called for help and God did not listen. 600 years after this oracle, another servant of the Lord cried out violence, but God did not save him. And his name was the Lord Jesus. We'll be celebrating communion tonight, reminding us of what he has done for us on the cross. My God, he cried, why have you forsaken me? And on the cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. Every sin in him was laid. Here in the death of Christ, I live. Amazingly, astonishingly, as evidently God remained silent in the most remarkable and incredibly unexpected way, God in fact perfectly fulfilled his purposes of grace. And salvation was wrought for sinful and broken and fractured society. During our staff meetings, not only do we go through the various pastoral needs of our congregation each Tuesday and and pray for you, but we also take a chapter from a book and discuss it. At the moment, we're looking at this book, Why We Still Believe. It's a book edited by David Randall, and published by Christian Focus. In it, there's a chapter on the topic of innocent suffering. And Vince Vitale of the Ravi Zacharias Trust gives nine philosophical reasons why, in his view, there can be a good God, even though the world is full of evil and suffering. Should any of you want to have a copy of that book to read for yourself, just Uh, ask me and I'll order you a copy. It's also available, I I wonder if you can just pop this up on the screen, Mark. It's uh, also available as a lecture, as a talk, 
and that's what it's called. It's on YouTube, uh, Dr. Vince Vitale, uh, on If God, Why Suffering? But in this book, um, he covers a lot of ground which I thoroughly commend to you. But he ends with a story where he sat at the hospital uh, bedside of Joe, uh, a friend who was dying. As they spoke, it became clear to Vince that Joe's understanding of faith was that you try to do more good in life than bad, and then you hope that in the end your good deeds outweigh your bad ones. If they do, that's good. If they don't, well, then you're in trouble. Now, if Vince had been an atheist at the bedside of his friend, he would quite literally have had nothing to say to Joe. Nothing. Because in an atheist's worldview, that's it. No future, no hope. If Vince had adhered to almost any other religion, he would have had to agree. Yes, Joe, you're basically right. It's all about whether you've done enough to earn God's approval. And therefore, Joe would have had every reason to fear what was coming next. Only as a Christian could Vince explain to Joe that God indeed, yes, he wants us to do good, but that's not what it is that makes us in a right relationship with God. What makes us right with God has nothing to do with anything we do or ever could do but what Jesus has already done once and for all on the cross. When we trust in Jesus, we need no longer fear judgment because Jesus has already innocently suffered for us. Jesus has already taken the judgment for anything we have or ever will do that is wrong. When Jesus died on the cross, that was God taking on himself all the darkness of our lives, the suffering, the guilt, the shame, the failure, so that we could be free of it. God saying he knows it is too much for us to bear, and so he bore it himself on our behalf. How are we going to deal with suffering, with death, and with the afterlife? And the gospel tells us that for all our confusion over this question, all our concerns, God bears it with us. God bears it for us. God will see us through it. And it's precisely because believing people feel this problem of innocent suffering, that they cry out, how long, O Lord, that that leads us to trust in the one and only God who himself has done something about it. How long, O Lord? Not long. That's a question that troubles only true believers. For all its mysteries, for all its complexities, God has done something to overcome it. He bears it with us.
He bears it for us. He will see us through it. We pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for Habakkuk's cry through faith. As we also wrestle with life's issues, large and small, will you enable us, please, to trust your love and care for us as seen in Christ Jesus our Lord? And what we pray is for his glory. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we bring our offerings to you as our grateful response to your goodness and grace to us. Guide us as we use them for your glory, the building up of your church here and overseas, and for the extension of your kingdom. Lord, in your word we read that that word is a lamp to our feet and a light for our path. And we thank you for that, for we live in a dark and fallen world where it is easy to wander, and we need you to guide us and sustain us. We thank you that we have such easy access to your word. Forgive us when we are careless about using it, and teach us to value it more. We pray for Wycliffe Bible translators and others who are working on providing copies of scripture for the millions of people who do not yet have it in their own language. Thank you for the passion you have given them to use their skills to provide the Bible in different languages. Be with them as they build relationships with local communities, learning the intricacies of language in preparation for translation work. And please be the day when your word is available to all, either in written or audio form, able to transform people's lives. Lord, we pray also for groups providing satellite television, radio, and online broadcasts of the Bible that provide studies and talks and training, bringing hope to people living in countries that are close to the gospel. Inspire the people preparing the programs and use them to bless those who hear them. Lord God, like Habakkuk, we look around our world at the things that are happening. Another 110 Nigerian schoolgirls kidnapped by Boko Haram. A family dying because someone deliberately set fire to their home. More violence and killing in Syria. News of more powerful nuclear weapons. People suffering abuse, losing jobs, anxious and in despair. And Father, like Habakkuk, we cry out, How long, O Lord, must evil prosper and people suffer through persecution, war, trafficking, violence and hunger? Sometimes it seems you are silent and far away. Lord, we confess we do not understand why, but we acknowledge your ways are above our ways. You are the sovereign Lord of all, and we know that you are not ignoring the great need and prayers of your people, but that you are with us, working your purposes out, and you will bring your peace and your judgment when it is time. And so we keep on praying. We pray for the girls who've been kidnapped that they will be found and rescued in spite of the slow response of the authorities. Be with them in the suffering they're going through. O Lord, please comfort their parents in their helplessness, frustration, and anxiety, and give them strength as they wait for news. 
We pray for all who are suffering at the hands of people who have power to do good, but use it to destroy. And we pray for each other, for those going through difficult times, times of bereavement, of illness, of waiting for appointments, results, or decisions to be made, for those living with anxiety and despair. May each one experience your close presence, bringing that deep strength and peace that is found in you alone. We thank you, Lord, for all the things that point us to you and for the good we see around us, for kindness and help to those in need. Thank you for the men's weekend, and we trust it will have been a time of fun and deepening faith as Noel and the men studied your word together. Thank you for all the work done in Walkway. Bless the full-time staff and the volunteers as they work to make this area a better place for all. Bless the work done, especially in Walkway, walkway Sundays. Be with Helen in Japan. Give her energy for her work and an awareness of your presence with her and help her in all that she does to trust you to accomplish your plans. And we pray, trusting your heart and your purpose to be enough for each of us in every situation. In Jesus' name, amen.